Today on The Bear and the Ball, I'm going to dip into the archives. A few years ago, I had a chance to sit down with Ali Riley, captain of the New Zealand national team. Ali's done it all. Played in World Cups, played in Europe, starred for Stanford, and was a high school phenom. She's going to tell us all about her journey from being a young girl playing AYSO to the fields of the national stage. The Bear and the Ball. This one is worth listening to. I am delighted to welcome uh, perhaps the most famous player I ever coached. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it was so long ago, I can barely remember, Ali Riley, Ali who has played uh, professionally now in Sweden and has represented our country close to a hundred times, I believe, that country being New Zealand. Yes, just over a hundred. Congratulations. And you've appeared in the Olympic Games, in World Cup finals. You've, uh, you've, you've done it all from very humble beginnings. Yes. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. So I, I guess that the place to start would be the place where we met, which would be uh, the Westside Breakers, uh, a small little club team on the west side of uh, L.A. Uh, they were one of the first uh, clubs to be all women. And uh, you were, you, were you an under 12? Or what age? I tried out. I think when I was 13, didn't make it, and then tried out the next year. So I was 13 or 14. So I hope I wasn't responsible for uh, to, for breaking your heart the first time you tried out. I'm not sure, actually. I don't think so, though. So what, what was tell tell me what was it like then uh, being a, a a young young girl who wants to play soccer in in, in a club environment? Because I, I guess beforehand you'd played AYSO, correct? Yeah. So. What made you want to take the move from AYSO, which is the American Youth Soccer Organization, to a club which is known as travel in other parts of the U.S.? Honestly, I think at that age, it was really because that was the step that everyone was doing. And, and my friends who I played with since five, six years old, all playing AYSO, sprinkled in different teams, but still... I always had at least two, three girls from my class at school, girls that I knew on my team. And then we all played each other on, on those Saturday mornings. Um, and then starting to do all stars in area P and the kind of natural next step. One of the players dads started the club Westside breaker. So he took her and all her buddies and, uh, and I wanted to be, you know, with them. And that was kind of the whole thing. It was, it was really starting then that that was, going to be the way to kind of make it as a soccer player was to play club. Um, So it was really because all the good players, all my friends were all getting taken away out of the AYSO system in, into this club, this one club team. So that was the original reason. So you're almost the Michael Jordan of uh, female soccer players getting cut from the team and then coming back a year later and showing them what was what and, you know, you're from there. <laughs> I'm not sure if I showed them uh, that next year. I think it's only probably now that no one else plays anymore that I really showed that I stuck it out um, 20 years later. <laughs> so so what, was, what was the catalyst then for you developing a, a love of the game and, and, and wanting to keep at it? Because I know for... For many kids, 12, 13 years of age, you don't make the team. It's like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. 
I think it really was the team aspect of the sport and, and playing with my friends. And then around that time, obviously, is when the U.S. women's soccer team, the national team, got so big. I was at the final in 1999. Obviously, this is a few years later, but there started to be this kind of idea. I could play in the Olympics, starting to dream about um, not so concrete that I thought I could make the national team or play professionally but more this kind of dream that that you could play soccer for many years and that you could go in the olympics and and that kind of thing because i'm not i don't know if the what stage the women's professional league in america was at at that point um but that was that was so that was also part of it that this was this idea that if you ever were going to make it somehow some way then obviously you would have to play club because that's what all the good players were doing um and then yeah, I think it was just because there suddenly was a club team, it was looked more down upon if you stayed in AYSO, especially when we're getting out 13, 14 years old. So let's talk about the difference in coaching then. Uh, who was your coach in AYSO? Was it your dad? My dad was always, I think he was, he started out being an assistant and then he was coaching. He didn't do the, the um, all-stars or area P. I think he might've been the assistant. Um, but I, I don't know how he wasn't that qualified. Um, but yeah, it was someone's dad. Um, and then, but when I, my first, well, then were you the coach when I did actually make it? I think I was. Yes. Yeah. You must've been my first coach. So obviously there's a difference in, in the kind of drills you're doing and then the whole feel about traveling and, and playing better teams and everything feels more professional. Um, but I think also just the level of the players, it's higher. Um, and then starting to do more technical stuff and it's so different than just going out with your dad on, you know, twice a week than actually everyone coming in with a coach who isn't someone's parent, you know, and, um, probably means more politics, but <laughs> definitely, um, especially on the breakers. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, I do remember your dad saying to me, uh, I think after, after a year, she said, he said, uh, should Addie leave? And I said, yes, definitely. Because yeah. I, I, I wanted you to go to a, to a, a bigger and, and better club where you'd be surrounded by uh, girls who are so much more, not advanced, but they just wanted it at the same level you wanted it. Because I, I, I felt like at the Breakers, uh, it was all about, well, it was a lot to do with the social aspect of the yes. sport rather than the playing of the sport. Definitely. And then I think, obviously, still wanted to be in the area. And then the team who was a year above was doing really well or was in Silver Elite, you know, was was a step up. So I ended up sticking around there until that coach told me that I needed to go somewhere yeah. else. <laughs> and then so you went to Real SoCal. Yes. What, what, what did you find... Is the difference the quality of the players or, or was there a difference in the myth methodology of the coaching? What, what, was the, what was the main difference between the, the two clubs? I think the competitiveness, getting game time, these girls are now wanting to get scouted. Obviously, I'm older now at this point and I'm, I'm still on, I'm playing a year above. Uh -huh. so these girls are getting scouted. They all want to go to Division I schools. They want to win national championships the team that I went to from Westside Breakers, they won the national championship the year before. So this was a very, very, you know, cutthroat environment and parents less involved, definitely, because it was really about 
um, the coach and more trust, I guess, because they had been so successful. So having her make those decisions and just the trainings were really, really, really competitive and still more about fitness. Obviously that's something maybe that's changed now um, for the better. I think that there's more emphasis on, on technical ability, but at that time the fitness was very important, you know, get on the line running suicides. And we did a lot of that. Um, we're also doing like mile tests and stuff and the Cooper test and that kind of thing. So, and that's a part of a big part of my game. So I think in terms of my development, that was good because I excelled in that, but then now playing in Europe, I'm definitely technically worse than everybody else. So, um, I think it was a blessing and a curse, but yeah, I think definitely less of the social. There are girls driving two hours, three hours to come to train in wherever, where we are, uh, a thousand oaks, you know, um, and it was because you're there to get seen, get a scholarship to college instead of have fun with your friends in the Palisades. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, talk about the, how, how the dynamic between you and the coach changes from, you know, being on a social team to one where it's like, it's, you know, it's 100 miles an hour. It's in your face. I mean, how, how did you develop a, a relationship, um, within that club system because it's 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 really hard because there's a lot of girls on the team I, i'd imagine you know the 18 yeah. to 20 on the team you're you're training what once twice maybe three times a week mm -hmm. the games at the weekend so there's not a lot of time to develop that trust right which is mm -hmm. isn't that the ultimate goal of any coach player relationship yeah i think the trust comes more out of the coach having the ability to earn respect and trust through that kind of respect in that when it's someone's dad and everyone's joking around and they've known you since you were in diapers and uh, you know, his, the, your the own daughter on the team is giving him hell, you know, and, and half the girls who are, you know, we all went to different schools, but those girls who knew that dad, you know, are all climbing on his back and, you know, giving him such a hard time and talking shit about him and, that obviously you get that still obviously some people don't like the coach and don't get to play but you get this more this the people are playing because not because they know the coach or there's a family tie there but because that coach has made a commitment is making a living has the responsibility to put the best team on the field in order to win championships national championships state championships and has promised I guess the the parents and the players that they will give them the best opportunity to succeed get a, an opportunity to play in college um is talking with college coaches we're out at surf cup all these tournaments and and I think that trust kind of develops more through that that you trust them maybe not to be a friend or you know that side of it but more that you've put your future in their hands in a sense um, and I had Christy Walker, my first female coach also had this very, was able to be friends, buddy, buddy, but a pretty strict coach and could say the hard word to everyone on the team. And that's also something that you earn the respect and the trust. And you know, even if she's closer with some girls or, you know, they've been on her team for many years, she's there to, you know, to win games. And like you said, sometimes it's, you help the kids more by not playing them, whether it's to discipline them, you know, there, we had some players who had anger management issues and, and then, you know, a, in one game, you get a red card, the next day, game, she's going to be like, obviously then you have to sit out, but you have to think about how you're going to play. If you can't do that kind of thing in college and 
that kind of knowledge, I think, is where you earn that trust and that respect, which is different than the kind of relationship you have with, with dads and with family friends. Um, yeah, and I think just also with girls coming from all different backgrounds and from different schools and different economies, you know, everyone is really there for the same reason and that's to win and, and be successful. What other qualities do you look for in a coach other than that, that, that trust and uh, knowing that they're, they're looking out for your, you know, maybe future development as a player? I think, well, I think having soccer wise, having tactical plans for each game, being able to change practices, you're not doing the same thing every training, um, adjusting tactics, depending on who you're playing, um, having an idea. It's very important to have a system, what style of play we're going to play. The players either it's hard because I guess sometimes in the club, in these clubs, at least the coach is kind of following the players up. So mm-hmm. maybe you already have a system, a style of play, and then players who come into the club have to fit it. So they, you know, add players to the club who will fit it, or you get a bunch of new players and then being able to adapt to find a style of play and a system of play that fits those new players. So I think that's something that's really important and that, but that also goes in with the kind of, trusting and and knowing that the coach is going to do the best to showcase the players on the field and to be successful. Um, I think dealing with parents and that kind of thing, and also just the whole thing with favoritism. And I think now if you take it into the professional game, you, instead of more kind of the problem being that maybe you're, you're close with the families or the players. Now it's more, you have players who have huge egos Mm -hmm. being able to, no matter how much you like the player or how good the player is, if they're out of line or not following the game plan to be able to discipline, or it's just a matter of being able to offer critique, um, daring to offer critique to best players in the world, we're saying now. Um, and that's something I think that I did gain, like I said, gain respect when I saw that Christy could not chastise. I mean, we're, now we're still like 17 years old, but to be able to, critique and criticize in a positive way the players that I knew she was really really close with and the best players on our team and I was you know I'm one two years younger than these girls and I'm just out there running around and I I idolized all of them and they were all going to top schools and so I was really there kind of just kept my mouth shut and and worked hard but I definitely took in everything she was doing and that's why I wanted to stay at that club and then ended up going back down to my age group when all of them graduated but seeing that yeah, that also kind of having that, that she got, helped those players get to really good colleges and good programs and, and kept it fun also. I think that's those players call after college or in college ended up being burnt out. But seeing them and when we were playing out there in those trainings at that field, you know, everyone had so much fun and was also really good. And that's a balance too that I think you need to find in the club environment, professional club when now we're training and I guess now in these days they're training four or five times a week but now that I train you know basically seven times a week it has to be fun and you don't want it to it's not like we're making you know huge bucks so it's really got to be and that's the same you don't want to try to get some scholarship or you're playing in a team but you get there you don't like it and then the coach loses faith in you and you lose your scholarship or you quit playing and Um, yeah, so that's also a really important factor. And that comes probably from the expertise of knowing 
good technical drills, good putting fitness into the playing, into possession, instead of the get on the line tactic. And there's ways to sneak in kind of the fitness, but also the competitiveness. And um, yeah, I think that comes probably from having a good, whether you're, you do your coaching license or, or ha- knowing what kind of drills and um, yeah, what players like, but also what's going to get the most out of them. How do you like to be coached? And, and has that changed from 16-year-old Ellie Riley to where you are today? I think I've always responded to a, a yeller. <laughs> um, not all of my friends, <laughs> my hand all of my friends do. But for me, I think as long as it's information coming out, it doesn't matter if it's told to me on the sideline or, you know, a quiet word here at halftime or screamed at me on the field. As long as it's like, I think the most important thing, and this has always been true, is if they know that I'm, the intent is there to do it, then the mistakes don't matter. And that is probably more important to me now when the stakes are so much higher, obviously, to, to take someone on on the line with the risk of losing the ball and, you know, getting scored on it at the World Cup. But it's, it's the same idea. I think you see the top men's players and for women's players, especially forwards, they don't care how many times they miss the ball. And it's, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, that kind of thing. And, but I think that's something that's really important to instill at a young age because I don't think it was because of the coaching. I think it was because of myself that I never wanted to make mistakes. Um, so I think I – and I wasn't very technical. So I had – my way of playing and I kind of have gotten by on athleticism but not taking on a lot of players or doing risky things or having a more finesse style of play because yeah I didn't really want to make a mistake and I think now it's been even more important to have a coach probably college and on it really changed someone they really said just try it when it comes off it'll be so great and it doesn't matter if you make the mistakes but in terms of kind of the yelling and being abrasive, and that's totally fine for me. It just has to be information so I can change something. And then it doesn't need to be repeated over and over again, because at that point, obviously I've taken it in and now I'm trying. And if it doesn't happen after that, that's a mistake, not uh, a decision not to do it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think as, as a coach, I want my players to always try different things but I always try and stress to them, try it in the right areas of the field. Yeah, of course. And as a <laughs> but defender... The Cruyff turn on top of your own six-yard box doesn't really work for me. <laughs> no, of course, of course, of course. And that's also part of the coaching net being clear, very clear with what you mean and, and the time and the place. But with what a player's role is, and then within that parameter, you can make as many, many mistakes as you want as long as you're trying. And then at the same time, though, if someone else is doing it better than you they're going to play, you know, and, and then you have to maybe work on those skills or find another way. But um, yeah, being really, really clear and giving information. And then I think how it's delivered is not for me, not, you know, that big of a deal. So how can a coach ruin his relationship with Ali Riley? I think for me, because I'm very self-aware and self-critical and I analyze and visualize and I think I lose more respect 
when I see how a coach is treating other players and, and that's, cause that's what I, for me, if it's, if it's myself, I always feel like I'm in control. If they say something to me or do something to me, I can, I have my choice to react, to clarify, to say, I don't agree or, and hopefully the coach, yeah, I guess if they're not responsive to that, that's going to be an issue. But I feel like I have the choice that I can question what they mean or I, and if they say something to me, I always try to take it in. But I think that's what I mentioned earlier. If they're, if they're players, because as a defender, we get a lot more, I think, criticism, but also you make a mistake and it's very obvious. And those are you, you always in, in analyzing a game the day after you look at the opponent's chances and that's basically all on us it comes down to, you know, we made a mistake this. Obviously the press starts higher up, but it comes down, if they get a shot on goal or score, it very, it seems like it's a defender's fault. Um, but then I think then you look at your own team's chances and then you're very much just looking at what the forwards did well. And you don't necessarily look at the chances we missed as often. And I think there's a lot of, that's the thing with dealing with egos and protecting your, your attackers and having players that maybe talk back to the coach or do things that I would never do. And then to be let off the hook because they're talented or, you know, the club values for me, that's just so, I think I would rather play on a team where everyone is sticking with the game plan, working hard. Like I said, trying doesn't make me matter if you make mistakes and doing everything possible to win a game and maybe it the result not being how you want. Whereas then having all of us fighting on the field, the coach being a huge wuss, not, not giving any critique to some of the superstars and everyone doing, having their own agenda players trying to change the game, playing individually. A little like if you saw Brazil play in the third place game, things just, it was not the same team that had played in the tournament. Everyone just decided to do their own thing and it didn't work obviously, but even if it had, that's not fun to watch. And that makes you think the coach has lost a little bit of control. So I think that's where a lot of where the respect comes from. And then I think if I don't have respect for the coach, it's going to be really hard to stay at that club. Um, and that's, I, I like to have a leadership role and be able to go in and speak with the coach about, how they handle situations or what the game plans are. You know, we have a, like a leadership group on our team, on the national team and the club team and, and having a coach that's open to those conversations and basically says, I know what I want and that's, and I'll, I'll say it to you guys, but if, if you disagree, you can come to me. And then if it doesn't work, that's on me. And if you don't play, I will give you a reason. And I think that's also a very important thing. And I think I've been lucky that I am on teams and I'm usually on the field. But um, yeah, I've had a lot of friends with experiences both on national teams and club teams where they don't play and you're, it's your job and it feels like you're failing and the coach gives some really BS reason or you know can't give a reason. And this is a business and this is professional. And, and if there's a reason why football-wise, they're not fitting your, I'm not fitting into your plan, then say it so I can either try to fit in or go somewhere else. But to string people on, and this happens in college, and it's so hard managing 30-some players. Um, 
but that's that's hard and then that starts to create conflict within the team because girls don't know why they're playing so they start asking each other or they I know I'm better than her so you know and getting upset whereas if the coach said in my opinion she's better than you I, what can you say you know that's that's then his her that's their subjective opinion but being confident enough to be open to having a conversation with players if things need to be changed and being honest enough to give the player the real reason why they're not playing. Interesting. So I've got a couple of questions here to, to wrap it all up. What's Ali Riley's advice for a 13 year old playing club? In terms of. In terms of she's trying to figure out whether she wants to be a serious player or not. Mm -hmm. I would say that hopefully you have a coach that you trust and has your best interest in mind. If you don't, then my advice would be to go to a different club. If you do respect that coach and you're comfortable with him or her and have a good relationship, then I would say, like you said to me, that that coach should, you should be able to go to that coach and very honestly, what do you think my chances are or what do I need to do to reach the level I want to be at? I want to play at a division one. I mean, obviously 13 is young, but the reality is that's the age when it's all starting these days. What do I need to do to make that next level? Am I playing the right position? Am I at the right club? You know, and, and that's another thing Then it, it go, it's in the coach's hand. Then yeah, the club might lose that family's money, you know, and it is about the money, but um, that's why you have to make sure you have a coach or club that you trust that they will have your best interest in mind. But I think it's so important to be able to go to the coach. And I've had that kind of relationship with all of my coaches. And I think that's probably why I know what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses are. I know exactly what I'm going to be working on. And then I think you have to spend a lot of time doing individual work on your own because I don't think a team practice twice a week, that's how it was when, you know, when I was playing club, that's not enough. And you look at the club teams in Europe and I'm coaching and giving, I'm a health coach for this under 12 team and they're playing games and practicing more than I do. I think it's so, but they love it and they have so much fun and the coach is someone's dad, but, um, they're doing so much technical stuff, both feet. They're hitting the ball with their laces. They're curling the ball. I mean, this is stuff that, you know, here, I don't know if you will get that twice a week. So you need to have a coach who can give you advice, maybe what you can do on your own outside of those four hours a week, or maybe has a technical coach or advice for someone that you could work with. Again, it's hard because it comes down to money. Um, but now there's these apps. I know yeah, Elle Averbush has her technical football and there's beast mode soccer that I've always worked with. And there's opportunities to work on your own without needing to spend the money and to hire someone to help you. But I think it's the best to have someone that you trust who will tell you and be honest, you suck at this. You need to spend more time on it or really keep working on this because this is something special that you have. Um, but I don't know at that age, I don't think we are so self-aware and you may have parents or other coaches that have really fluffed you up and, and built your ego. And maybe you have some college coaches already wanting to sign some verbal agreement at 15 years old. But I think that's where you can really get lost 
Um, and that coach is also telling somebody else that they're that special and they're going to play on their college team. So I think really having that one person that you can trust and then putting in those extra hours after school to, to work on those technical elements. So you're now 17. Uh, you're in your senior year. Colleges are falling all over you because you're a great player. What's your advice to, to this kid now? Now, I think the most important thing is to pick a school that you will be happy at if the soccer thing does not work out because that is the biggest thing that I've seen. And I just, at Stanford, obviously great school and I loved it. And my teammates, they are ACLs and in all the sports and just to be somewhere where you are still so happy and have a promising future. And um, that, that is the number one because this is so dependent on our bodies and our health. Um, and so much can happen especially in four years. So that's, I think that's the key thing. You can't just listen to what the coaches are saying about how much playing time you're going to get or how many national championships you're going to win. Because if you do something, you won't be on that team. So that's a really important thing. The most important thing to consider really. And so now you've, you've graduated college. Um, obviously at this point in your career, national teams are certainly sniffing around and, and offering the chance of uh, international travel and caps. What's, what's your last bit of advice uh, having just reached that milestone of a hundred caps yourself? I think if you have the opportunity ever to play for a national team, whatever country it is, I think it's something it's so worth it and something so special and, and very different than professional college you know, club. Yeah. It's, it's such an amazing experience, but that being said, I think obviously it's very competitive depending on what, what country we're talking about. And I think at that point also there is, I think you need to try it, but if your quality of life really goes down because of the stress or competition or coach, that's also something that it's hard if there's a lot of money involved, but it's not worth suffering over, you know, playing on a national team or that kind of being able to say you play on a national team or the perks or sponsorships or whatever. Um, if you're going to be miserable and that's something you see very often too, when girls who just could still play on the national team, haven't the coaches have, you know, they haven't been kicked off or asked, you know, not given contracts. They literally have stopped because, it's not fun anymore and can still play professionally. Um, but obviously if you have that chance, you have to try it. And I'm not saying you should give up at the first sign that it doesn't work out. I think you should still fight for it. Um, but I think it's really great now that we can make money, make a living and play professionally. And it's not just about the national team. And if you take a place like the United States, there's, I don't know, 30 girls who are in the squad and how many million billions of us who are playing soccer and, I know the, the salaries maybe aren't that high in the league now, but I know you can play in Europe and you can play in Spain. It doesn't have to be the big, you know, the Germany's, the Sweden's. I think um, there are lots of countries you can play in and, and make a living and see the world. And yeah, there's, it's just such a great opportunity to, to live a great life. And, and we're still obviously fighting to get more more money, more opportunities, but 
these opportunities were not the same and weren't there when I was growing up. So I think that's the big thing that, yeah, that you can play. It doesn't, the focus doesn't have to be on the national team, but obviously if you can and have that opportunity, it's, it's, you will never have that kind of pride and kind of honor doing anything else. But um, I think it is really cool that we can play professionally. Last piece of advice. Um, so you have all this worldly experience now. What would you say to the 14-year-old Ali Riley? Uh, what would you say to your dad if your dad was pressurizing you a lot over soccer? Hmm. What would I say to him or what yeah. now or? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I would have to have, say, you know, you have to have that same conversation that I'm saying the player should have with their coach, you know, just be very realistic about how much you really want to be playing. And then I think that's an opportunity because my dad was always coming with trying to get me to do drills and juggle. And I was really like, I don't want to. So then he stopped, you know, <laughs> and that was great. <laughs> and I, you know, ended up not being technical at all, but I still, you know, did it my way. Um, but then I think that if then that's the opportunity for the parent to then say, well, look, if this is really your dream, then you, you do need to spend 20 minutes. We can make it fun. I can be there with you, invite a friend over, but you need to be doing these drills. And then if they're really like, yeah, but then no, then I, I don't want it that much. Then, then stop. Then you can ask again, like a little bit later, if it seems like the player is becoming more serious again or starting to dream about this and that. I think it's important to be realistic, but also important to be able to back off and let your kid just have fun. And I think not being so stressed, I think I, I'd like to think that a player could still have the path I did. Maybe not play on a national team, but at least make it professionally or travel the world through soccer. Maybe, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of, but at least achieve their dream using soccer without having to play on a club team earlier than 13 years old, without having to be pressured, without, I played, I played tennis and did track and soccer all the way through, you know, my junior year of high school so I was still doing a lot of sports and now you get these parents saying you know I already have to take her out of gymnastics and and whatever because she wants to play at Stanford you know but I don't know if a 10 year old really knows that so I think it's a conversation that you need to continue to have but also be very open to the fact that maybe they just don't want it as much as you do <laughs> and you can find that scholarship money <laughs> through something else so, so you're saying you're not a big fan of specialization then at a, at a youngish age? No, I think that's, I think while of course you playing soccer, only soccer is the, you still are learning a lot of life skills and, and listening and leadership and having that empowerment as a woman and a girl and, and having that experience. But I think it's also important to know how that, to experience that doing other sports or doing art or music or maybe just spending more time with school. I don't know. There's, there's so many different things. And like I said, I think if soccer doesn't work out, I think you want to be able to have other skills or yeah, if it does come down to in the end, maybe you take up lacrosse, which is something we don't have here for young girls, 
but is a varsity sport at Stanford University. Like maybe you pick that up later, you know? And I think there's just so many more opportunities than maybe parents or players think at that young age. And you've got this tunnel vision, especially here in Southern California. It's all about soccer. We've got the National Training Center here. You've got these amazing women's national team players and they're on TV and all this stuff. But um, I think a lot of those girls were also doing a ton, a ton of different sports at a young age. So I think it's hard to, I think it gets so hyped up, but I, I think it's the clubs and the, the coaches and stuff who want your money, who end up also contributing to that hype. It's not colleges saying we're not going to take players who didn't specialize in soccer at a young age. It's not professional clubs saying, if you didn't start only, you know, playing club at, at 10, we don't want you. I think if the clubs who want the girls to start playing at a young age who are saying that you're only going to make it if you start playing club at a young age. I don't know if I know any player, obviously we're older now, but even these are probably under 17s, under 20 players, I don't think they would tell any kid to, to specialize in soccer super early. Ali Riley breaking it down. This is how it is. She's currently playing for the Orlando Pride and still represents her country on the national stage. Well, this has been The Bear and the Board. And as always, if you want to get hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Nick Webster and CalSouth at CalSouthSoccer on Instagram, at CalSouth on Twitter, and of course on Facebook. It is the holiday season, so I wish you and yours all the very, very best. And we'll be catching up again in 2022. This has been The Bear and the Ball. So long for now.